Fen Villiers, welcome to the metagame. Thank you for having me on. So you're a fine art sculptor. And if you're watching the video version of this, we'll see it. But your work is very powerful and kinetic. Uh, it's unapologetic. And to me personally, I, I found it very inspiring. I mean, the first time I saw something of yours, it just hit me directly. And I, I want to get into why you create things like this. But first, how did you even get into sculpting to begin with? Yeah, so um, essentially it... it you know, I, I, I came from a sculptural background, like um, my family are involved in the arts. Mm. So it was something that very much um, brushed off on me. I suppose it was like, in some respects, my parents already had me kind of channeled down a certain route. <laughs> they, uh, they were always encouraging me from a very young age to be involved in creation and be just sort of you know, always at play as a young child hmm. um, with uh, with my hands, you know, either with like building blocks, wooden toys, but also um, just constantly playing with plasticine and clay. It's, it, it's funny because um, when I think back to that period, um, my toys were not like uh, sort of cheap plastic, um, the sort of cheap and plastic rubbish that you see a lot of kids having these days. My, my toys were like... Um, just bucket loads of plasticine, mm. clay, and wooden blocks. And I, I, I actually think, you know, on, on reflection, that it's really important. Um, I think that's had a very um, crucial, uh, I think it's played a crucial role, actually, in my um, formative, you know, f forming my imagination for, from a young age. Because, you know, when you have a toy in your hand, the it's, it's already there. It's It's been created by someone else. It's been manufactured. But right. when from a young age when you can manufacture your own, uh, you're sort of producing your own characters, you're building your own world. Um, clay and plasticine uh, allowed me to to manifest this, this small, uh, naive world. Um, certainly a language was already being developed um, by me at that age. And of course that, you know, I, th I think that really did have an effect. You know, um, it's it's like those those seeds were being planted back then, mm -hmm. and so it it was it was only natural to go further and further into the arts as I grew up. You know, I was getting involved in drawing and painting, and then going on to art school, um, and you know, moving around a bit between art schools. But um, you know, it, it it always just became an apparent thing that I would likely go into the arts and likely go into sculpture. So it was I was kind of definitely pushed that way. Yeah. And <laughs> Did you, so I imagine since you were doing, you know, creating things since you were a kid, you probably didn't have a notable inflection point where you're like, oh, this is what, what I'm going to do with my life. But did you have any aesthetic inflection points, like uh, moments of aesthetic awakening where you saw a work of art that, that inspired you in such a way, left some sort of indelible impact and that furthered you down this path? Well, certainly my my parents um, were continuously taking me to art galleries, exhibitions and museums. Uh, you know, the art was a huge part of their life, or still is. Um, and essentially it was, I think every opportunity that there was and free time, it was being spent in uh, sculpture gardens or going to museums. Was there a particular piece of sculpture that really touched me from a young age? Um, 
I think it's I think it's quite a difficult question. I I mean there was multiple. I mean I, it it would be too difficult to say like oh definitely this piece or exactly that. Um but I you know it's you have a sort of a a, a mash of 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 uh sculptures that you're around but certainly it was always for me, it was never really about the paintings that was touching me. It was always about sculpture because it's, mm. you know, sculpture is, is, is an art that lives in 3D form in your space. And I always had this thing of, of enjoying to touch, touch form or, you know, um, get your hands on form, should we say. And there were certain sculpture gardens that I was taken to. And as a child, I would, um, you know, touch the forms and be uh, sort of, attracted to touching the forms and touching the bronzes and touching the stone and just feeling feeling with you, you know sometimes you can see a lot more with your hands yeah rather than simply your eyes so that was that was something that was very much at play but i can't actually think from a young age like oh there was definitely a piece that that that, that gave that awakening i i think it was it was strengthened by a whole host of different sculptures that i was getting uh, exposed to i think the question behind my question is what has been unique about your trajectory? Because as you said, you went to art school and I'm assuming you were trained in the methods that modern artists are trained in, contemporary artists are trained in, but what you ended up producing is distinct from contemporary art. Mm. How was it that yeah. you were able to maintain your soul, so to speak, by going, <laughs> you know, and I, I, this is obviously very loaded, but what you're producing is, different from what i see you know in a typical gallery in downtown toronto or something yeah well um i suppose the thing is is from a young age i always wanted to be extremely busy with hands-on materials yeah. so of course it made sense to be learning how to carve stone or pushing to learn how to carve stone or pushing to learn how to sculpt in clay and and you know further that ability um to be able to do that, of course, you have to go to the right school. And for me, those things, that happened when I actually went to my second art school, which was an academy in Antwerp, because the first school that I went to was a hyper-conceptual school. It was mm -hmm. the Glasgow School of Art in Scotland. And um, that was really not the right place for me. Mm. Um, and that, was, that became apparent very quickly. Um, until at a certain point, it was just, you know, they... The tutors there were just like, look, you, you're not going to fit here. And I knew I didn't fit well there. And there was a lot of, you know, bickering and it was a stressful environment. And, and, and I also just knew I was probably just never going to actually learn uh, the hands-on, the, the métier, as you would say in French, to, to actually learn how to, to, to create something with your hands. Um, so I moved off to an academy in Belgium. I left the UK and I went to the Royal Academy in Antwerp, which at that time still taught the real building blocks of sculpture. Mm. So you were really given the ability, uh, you know, you, it's, it's an academy. So you, you imagine a room, 12, 15 students, you've got one naked figure in the center and she or he will be doing poses and you simply have to, um, to the best of your ability, reproduce um, their figure mm. in clay. And so sometimes it was life-size, sometimes it was monumental. And that was a process of, 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 of learning the figure, learning, learning construction, understanding how shapes and forms come together. This was not something that was readily taught um, 
at the more conceptual schools, for example, in the UK. So it was it was it was a massive. Um, it was a huge. I would say that was kind of an awakening moment as well, because for me, it was like, wow, there's more to this. And this is where you can really learn how to do something. So it was it was definitely um, definitely a fantastic experience to go to the academy. Um, it's now become hyper contemporary. But mm. back then, not even that long ago, we're talking, you know, like 10 years ago now. Wow. Um, it really had uh, it really still had that spark, that flame, because you had some old school tutors who were still teaching the the academic approach and and. and understanding of form and so you know that's that, that's really important but a lot of schools have lost that flame now that's that's kind of been uh occulted away <laughs> yeah it, so that's really fascinating because you you kind of created this uh dichotomy between the more conceptual glasgow school of art and then this more ac like old school academic approach like even saying academic now sounds wrong but yeah. um yeah it makes yeah. sense to me that at least if I just think from my own experience, the first person I see um, who's, and you have a manifesto about this, but who's creating really unapologetic vital art is creating sculptures, like as opposed to painting or, or writing or music. Basically, the medium itself forces you to contact reality on a regular basis, oh, yeah. while Absolutely. other mediums could just be word games or critique games. So exactly. to, to what extent yes. would you would you agree with the the fact that the medium itself has kept you on this path of uh, I would say more honest powerful art? Well yeah I mean the, the the thing is is when you're when you're you know in front of a block of stone or when you're you know you have this you have this material in front of you and you've got to order that material. I mean look when you think about it what is sculpture? Sculpture is you have this material, this base material, and you 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 have to bring order to that material. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to um, shape it and form it into a certain um, a certain series of forms, shall we say, a composition. That's what we call a composition, and it has to be tamed. It has to be controlled. People are energized or interested in matter that is controlled and formed. You know, like great architecture is matter that mm -hmm. has been formed and controlled um that's how art starts to speak and resonate so it's you you can't really get around that when you've got a block of stone in front of you you going you're going to have to use your hands or or tools you know and you're going to have to get into that material and there's no two ways about it you're going to have to start carving and cutting away and bringing a composition into that it's not about finding an object, which is the trend today. Mm. And, you know, you find an object and cut it in half and spread it around a room and all that kind of nonsense. It's, 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 it's a lot more kind of, um, you know, it's, it's raw. It's right in front of you. There's, there's nothing you can do about that stone apart from get involved with it, understand it in the real, in reality. And it's going to be working against you the whole time. Mm. It keeps you true. I mean, I think it, it you can't be in in a place of pretense when you've got a stone or you've got clay in front of you and you've actually got to form it and, and, and bring it into a kind of composition that resonates and speaks. So I, I would say that's kept me grounded. It's kept me grounded in, in, in reality and it's kept me away from uh, flying off into these um, 
into this mental masturbation, shall yeah. we say, you know, this, yeah. this, this process of, of going off into these ideas in your mind, into these dark spaces and, um, you know, kind of getting excited about nothing, mm -hmm. which is, which is what a lot of this kind of pseudo, I would say pseudo philosophical, pseudo political, um, petty art that I was seeing going on around me. It just didn't talk to me. It didn't, didn't speak to me on a physical level because I didn't, you know, I think art is not just to be felt in the mind. It's to be felt in the body. Yes. When you hear great music, you don't, you, you're not, you're not thinking about it. You're feeling it. And it's the same way when you see a painting or a piece of sculpture, it moves you, but it moves you in your body and you feel it in your body. That's culture is perceived and felt, um, through, through one's body. You know, it's, it, that's that's the power of culture as well well that's what it should be doing it shouldn't just purely be living in your head and consumed purely as just a mental act it must be more than that you know and 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 so sculpture has has kept me grounded in that way yeah a big theme in some of uh, our prior conversations on this podcast is the tendency for modern life to disembody people oh. and there's so many things that do that you know even the the digital platform Definitely. that we're forced to to communicate on um the fact that a lot of modern life is unhealthy it's hard to Certainly. to not buy poison when you go to a grocery store like <laughs> you, you need to develop nutritional literacy so that you don't reduce your your strength and vitality just by buying groceries and there isn't much in terms of our culture that encourages people in the opposite direction but there are things that are available like I'm you know, trying to connect with the experience of uh, willing form onto a block of stone. That's not something I've ever done before, but the thing that it lit up for me is the experience of, of lifting weights where there's, oh, yeah. there's something honest about a bar with a bunch of weights on it that you can't move because you're just not strong enough to do it, right? And so it, 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 it's almost like reality uh, will discipline you if you have contact with it, but most oh, people yeah. these days don't. So true. You've actually really summarized that beautifully. Mm. That's a really great way of looking at it, actually. You know, as you say, like, you've, you've got weights, you want to lift them, you want to move them. In a gym, for example, there's, there's, you can't really get around it until your body changes or until you actually understand how the physical world is operating. You know, uh, a, a weight is a weight. A stone becomes, you know, a three-ton stone in front of you. You want to make something out of it. You're going to have to learn or understand how you're going to carve that, how you're going to bring a composition into it. And it's not a process of, um, you know, magical thinking and, and, and getting lost in thoughts and, and pretending it's something that it's not. It's a block of stone yeah. and it's inviting you in. It's inviting you and asking you to step in and uh, step up to the battle. But you have to be ready to meet that, you know, it, and, and, and that's very confronting and that's very important. And, and of course, sculpture is a, is a, is a bodily act. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this concept of the body of the artisan, the, the, the creative force, the process, that life energy runs through the body and it runs into a material. And so you are, it's a transference of energy from the body of the artist, the sculptor, into a material. Essentially, you're giving life to a material. Um, and it's that concept of embodiment because you are to breathe life into a material and then the sculpture then embodies something. What does it embody? It embodies something archetypal. It, bodies, it, it, it embodies a certain um, symbolic reference to something. And that's where the poetry starts to come in. 
to the creation process. But that whole process is is a very physical act. It's mm -hmm. it's 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 lived and it it breathes through you as the artist, as the sculptor, and then it goes into the material. And and so that's that's the way I look at it. That's the, that that's the most kind of vital way that I can um, approach and understand what it is to be uh, a sculptor. Actually, yeah. And there's um, a Nietzschean idea which I imagine you'd agree with, which is that cultural vitality is downstream of physical vitality. You know, you can't really have one without the other. And I imagine that just like how somebody, the that. bodybuilder is changed in the gym by contending with the weight, you're probably changed every time you, you create something out of a block of stone, right? Like you're probably a different fan <laughs> yeah. on the other side of that. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, a really great way of looking at it actually. Cause of course, every, every work that you make, you battle through it, you struggle through it. It's a, it's a, it's a gladiatorial mm -hmm. uh, process. And so that material is as much uh, shaping you and changing you physically and mentally as you are changing it. It's, it's an incredibly, um, one could look at it as sort of like an alchemical uh, process in that way. Mm. You know, you are engaged in directly changing material, but in that process, there's so much change going on inside of you. Um, and, and that feels like the most honest way to understand creation as well. Um, because for you to be able to create and aspire to to create and to go beyond and to keep on, um, you know, the, the, the hope is that you, you continue to create stronger and more vital works as you as you go on. So much change has to happen in you, you know, and, and so, of course, the material, the sculpture that you make and these pieces that you leave behind, that's a that's an archive. That's a process. And and you begin to see as the artist or sculptor goes on, he's. He's having to change. His work's changing. He's having to, 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 to go further with his practice. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a spiritual thing. Yeah, you mentioned archetypes, and you said alchemical process, and then now you said the S word. You said spiritual. I wonder, how do you think of archetypes? Are they, are they real? Are they just tools? Or is there something like really fundamental, like in a Jungian sense? Well, I, I mean, my belief is that we have so I'm just going to bring this blind energies. down. The sun's in my face. One sec. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you don't want to get blinded there. Or maybe you would like to um, sun gaze. You could always do that. Yeah, maybe not <laughs> right now. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, uh, you know, my belief is that there are archetypal energies, of course. And, and this is something that you know, the Greeks touched on, mm -hmm. um, you know, you could refer to them as gods. You can, you know, certain energies, looking at male and female, looking at strength, looking at weakness, um, looking at more subtle archetypes, looking at, you know, it, it goes on and on. You have micro archetypes, you have macro archetypes, you have, um, you know, you can understand archetypes as, as certain um, sort of more primordial, perennial uh, things that are timeless. Mm -hmm. I certainly believe that, that that we live in an an extraordinarily archetypal world. But I think that that's also something that comes naturally to me as a sculptor because everything in my mind when I'm imagining a piece of work or when I'm thinking about shapes and forms comes to me in an archetypal manner. If mm. someone says to me, oh, think of a composition of how would you represent, you know, strength? How would you represent life? How would you represent vitality? What does growth mean to you, Fen? I have hundreds of images running through my mind right. and it's all archetypal. And so it's, 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 it's an immediate, 
you know, I don't think in words, I think in images. So I'm just, it's, it's like a flash of, of, of all these different things. And that's in, I think that's in all of us to be aware and to be open to, to that language, that archetypal language. You know, you'll have people who are not particularly, not, maybe not even particularly interested in the visual arts, but you show them great paintings, great pieces of sculpture, and they'll say something like, I don't know why it is, but I, but I really like that work, or it resonates with me, but I don't know why. And I, my belief is that it's because it's tapping into, and this is again what true culture is, it's tapping into that archetypal realm. It's tapping into that archetypal aspect of the mind. Um, and that's something very human. That's something very natural in us to, to look at art and look at, look at images and, and to perceive them without words because it's visual and it's that immediacy and you see, oh, wow, I just, you know, and, 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 and I believe that's already tapping into the archetypal realm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't think you can, at least the way I perceive reality, I don't think we can, um, I don't think we can pretend that there aren't certain governing archetypal energies within our universe Agreed. that are not at least, you know, timeless, that, are, that have been here longer than we have, that govern the creation of this universe, this space, you know, what we're involved in now. Um, and of course, that sort of gets into the metaphysics of things. Um, but I, my mind operates naturally on that on that sort of thing. So it's everything that I think about is archetypal. Everything that I'm interested in is, is, is finding archetypes because archetypes are finding the essence of something. You know, it's, it's like when someone says what is energy or what's a moving car or what does it mean to, to, to be violent or to be in, in, in combat or to be in a process of, of moving forward, you know, images come to my mind that, and I don't think, you know, that's not something that I've trained into myself. That's just something that comes naturally. I think it comes naturally to a number of other people too. So there must be something more connected to, there's got to be something more connected to nature and more connected to ingrained in our minds, shall we say. Like if you were to, if you're coming at it from Jung, Jungian archetypes, but if you look at it from the Greeks, look at the Romans, this, we live in an archetypal world. Yeah, I like to think of it as uh, an inbuilt grammar of images and yes. and also emotional qualities because it's not simply that there's just some sort yeah. of image that you use to make meaning it's that there there a certain class of image that has uh potency to it you see it and it almost Absolutely. has a, a physical affordance associated with it yes. and inbuilt in the image is an imperative almost and i, I think yes. one way to bring maybe more like skeptical materialists on board with this type of thinking is if you look at the Greek gods, they were basically representations of motivational and emotional circuitry that we now have a neuroscientific understanding of. So you would have like anger and and like uh, enthusiasm and all these like personality traits represented by these metaphorical, you can call them metaphorical beings that actually had mm -hmm. explanatory power and you would get possessed by anger You'd get possessed by, yes. you know, a, a, a God that had these imperatives. Um, and I think that that's how that actually is what dictates the world that we live in. Um, and the, the conceptual stuff that people are consciously literate about 
you know, when you ask somebody what their philosophy is and they kind of tell you with a bunch of words, it's like this thin layer that may have no correspondence with what actually moves them, but these archetypes are what's moving them. I wonder if you can give um, maybe a couple examples of what you mean when you say an archetype. Well, for example, um, in my work, everything that I've been doing for the last few years has been very much uh, energy-based, shall mm. we say. So it's like I've been looking for how to represent speed and motion and how to represent like strength or defense or how to represent a kind of um, vitality, should we say, that just 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 that sort of that life that that ascends upwards, that 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 wish to go on and go mm. beyond and to keep on going. These are the sorts of things that have been possessing me and have been have been talking to me um, in the cultural milieu where I find myself now in Western culture, obviously, um, because it's been a kind of um, it's been how I've been been conversing on a visual level with all the art of what's going on around me. So why, for example, did I want to start representing speed or momentum or that ability to, to, to gather speed and push forward? For example, in, in my monumental sculpture called um, um, Momentum, mm. the reason I wanted to make that piece is because I wanted to capture the essence of what it means to be going at speed or gathering speed. But what is speed? Speed is that energy, but speed is vital. So, you know, you have to be able to get to speed. You need to have an energy driving you forward. You have to be in that energetic state. Either you're running, you're on a motorcycle or you're, you're on a bike or, 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 you know, you're in a jet or something like that. That's, that's a very high vibration state to be in. And so I looked at, at, at how to capture that, but it's also bringing that archetype forward to represent and for me, to, for me to be in conversation with that archetype, but also to show that archetype and to say, look, this is for me, and I believe others can feel it too, is this is energy, hmm. this is vitality, this is power, this is a state of power captured and anchored in a, in a, in a monumental stone for others to see, for others to understand that that, that, that that vital energy is there. Everything that I've been trying to do with my work in the past few years has, has really been about capturing a kind of vital state, a state of, 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 of deep and fierce kind of living or energy in process, in movement, either stepping forward like my um, breakthrough sculpture, which is a man carrying a flag. It, he's stepping forward, he's in movement. I, I, I love sculpture that captures movement because, of course, to move is to live, mm. to ascend is to live, to grow is to live and move and to keep on uh, ascending and to keep on climbing that, that mountain or those stairs or, you know, that ladder or whatever you want to look at archetypally, whatever you want to see. Um, or perhaps you're climbing further up into, um, you know, in, into our atmosphere in a jet or a rocket. It's you're ascending. That's you know, that, that's that process of burning energy. You have that energy and you have that will to do it. So these are, these are the kind of main archetypal or like, should we say energies that I've been attempting to, to really capture because I, my true belief is that when you capture those things and you solidify them within a piece of sculpture, other people feel it yeah. and they become energized by it. Because I noticed when I was looking at the Italian futurists, for example, or when I was looking at 
um, you know, a number of uh, Russian futurist works, that their conceptions, what they were making, energized me. It was just a natural process. I was like, wow, I look at this stuff. It's, it's got these, these, these lines and these, these jagged edges and, and it's explosive. And it was like, it was like listening to, to just an incredible piece of music because after seeing this stuff, I felt on fire, mm -hmm. you know? You have that kind of, that, you have that process of feeling I could walk through a wall now. I'm ready to go. And art has that power. It has that ability to energize people. I think, I think that's an amazing key element of what great culture or great art can do. It, it, and, and, and that's, of course, what I've been aspiring to do. I've been wishing to do that, um, especially in a period now where these kind of energies are not celebrated, you see. Well, let me They're go a step forward. further. Would you say that Western culture today is more of a death cult than anything else? Yes, I do believe that. I, I, I think that, that what's going on in Western culture today, unfortunately, is um, there is not a true celebration of life. Yeah. There's not a true celebration of that vital force. You know, but people, when you... When you look at a, um, a small plant and it grows upwards, it grows towards the sun, but it's growing. There's an energy driving that, that, that plant. You, you watch a child, it grows. There's energy driving that child to grow. There's a life force that is within all things in nature, and we're part of that. But that energy has, it, it has kind of become suffocated in our, in our modern, in our post-postmodern life now. Mm -hmm. Um and it's no longer celebrated in our art. It's no longer celebrated in our leaders. It's no longer celebrated in anything. Everything around us feels like it's there to, to dampen that life force. Yeah. It's, it's pretty see? wild. Like if, if somebody's thinking that death cult is like overly provocative or an overly provocative way to put it, it, it is, it's a bit hyperbolic, but <laughs> let me remind you that Joe Biden, who is basically like a living corpse, is the president of <laughs> the United States. Also, there's all these statistics about how um, f uh, almost 50% of women between the ages of 25 and 35 in the next 10 years, I might be getting those numbers wrong, uh, will be childless, which is like a totally unprecedented thing. And I'll, of course, you know, we mentioned that it's actually hard to live in a healthy way despite all our opulence and abundance so there there's so much that's working against all those archetypes that you just described um there's yeah. so much that's yeah. stopping the potential ascension of of people absolutely absolutely it, it's 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 being held down and this is something that i've i mean it, it's quite funny because you know people say to me oh but you know how did you get into this or how did you go into this uh process of making the, the art that you're making did you become like extremely politicized or mm. did you come at it from a political aspect or did you read loads of philosophy or how did you get into it and i'm like i didn't have to i just had to be an uh, you know an artist in the visual in the visual arts being involved in going to many different museums many different um you know art exhibitions being around artists today and just having my eyes open it, that that's enough. I, I I don't have to, I don't have to be involved in 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 the petty politics of things to understand that culturally, uh, 
we're in an extraordinarily bad way. You know, it's it, everything has become we've become we've come into this rather sort of static place. It's it, it, it's like the the water is stopped running. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when 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 water is no longer running, it it becomes very static and it kind of rots. And we need to have that water running again. You know, there needs to be that 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 process of of uh, things must flow. But we've kind of lost that. We've we've life has turned against life mm -hmm. in some respects. You see, and it's just so clear now that in the in the arts, we're not sure where we want to go anymore. And it's like I. I see a lot of artists who, who are kind of also giving up mm. or they're just in that process of saying, well, you know, I'll just make this nihilistic stuff. But there's something deeper going on there. They don't have the confidence to move forward anymore. They don't see a point. They've, it's like, why, well, why would we? I mean, it's, it's like, where's this going anyway? It doesn't feel like there's anything to really live for. You know, and that's terrible. That's a really horrible place to be. But I, I don't look at it like that. You know, to, 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 to come at it from another way, I look at it at now is the greatest time. Now is the most fantastic opportunity that we could really get something going. Because mm -hmm. in this darkness that we're in now, it's the, the smallest of lights, the smallest of fires that can burn so brightly. And I think that it's, we're at a tipping point now. And that's why I have, have you know, have come online and gotten onto Twitter and, and really trying to build a, a you know, like-minded people uh, with artists and other people alongside me because I believe we're at a tipping point and we just have to, you know, the, the torch is on the floor. We just have to pick it up and run with it now. Yeah. And, I, and, and that's my true belief because we just have to step forward with a belief. And I do have a belief that we can keep on um, pushing forward in that, you know, we've lost our Faustian energy, but I feel, I feel like we, all we have to do is pick it up. It can keep on going. It's just an orientation thing. We need to get ourselves back on track. We need to we need to start uh, unapologetically expressing ourselves again as artists mm -hmm. and not having a care for, well, will it fit with this political doctrine or will it be like this or will it fit for that political institution? No, just just get back to making some real art again that's coming from within you. You know, a culture is expressed from within you. It comes from a people. It's expressed out of you. It's like sweating. It comes out of you. Culture is there. You just have to allow it to be there. And it's not a process of overthinking yourselves. We, we're, we're overthinking things. Mm. My, my belief is we, we spend too much time overthinking it. This, this, this current trend of, of um, you know, hyper-conceptualized art that we have today is it's all thought, but no action. We need to get back to that process of making again, building, pushing forward. But of course, that's going to take some time. It's going to take a new body of artists to do it. The moment I'm uh, in the process of gathering other artists together and finding other groups and stuff like that, but I, I think we're in a really exciting time now. This is for me a process of just pushing forward, finding other artists, and I think we could. I, my belief is there could be another real movement starting, and that's that's very exciting. Yeah, and I, so I, that same analogy came to mind where it's when things are really dark, just a little bit of a light goes a long way. Um, and I do believe Definitely. that when a culture is, is rotting or dying, that's the best opportunity for something new to emerge. Like people always say the best startups are, are built during a recession. 
Um, I, I also think that the way to redeem a culture is not to go in and try to fix it, but actually to create something new that is so inspiring yes. and beautiful yes. that it it moves people to to join the new thing. And most people are mimetic anyway. So once they see all the cool kids, all the healthy kids doing something, they'll they'll go and join them. <laughs> um, I know you wrote a, oh, yeah. a manifesto to to this effect, um, and it has uh, yeah. eight points. And I I'll just read them because they're very short. And maybe you can you can also yeah. tell the listeners why why you wrote this and what you're trying to do with it. But point number one is create yeah. art that uplifts. Number two is honor the harmony of a composition. Three is reimagine the archetypes of our culture. Four, confidently express your unique voice. Five, kill art speak. I like that one. <laughs> uh, six, muster the courage to break the rules and do something different. Seven, collectivize with other artists, as you're kind of alluding to, like forming collectives. And then eight, be revolutionary by returning to your foundation brackets don't get lost in endless conceptualization so all all eight of those kind of cut through a bunch of what we just talked about already but tell me yes why did you make this manifesto well i i had a, a monumental um exhibition going on where i was bringing together these large these large stone sculptures and i wanted to put words to everything that was essentially eating me up mm. while carving this this uh, you know it, it's a funny thing because most of my thinking is done while i'm carving uh, stone or when i'm in the process of, of modeling a sculpture in clay or something like that that's where my thoughts happen so it's it, it's like the thoughts come while my body is in action mm. and i'll be thinking on on different streams of thought and there'll be different things coming to me um and this manifesto essentially started to kind of write itself while I was in this process of carving these, uh, these works. And I was thinking quite deeply. I mean, there's like, there's a number of different versions of the manifesto. There's a more visual one that's on my Twitter and stuff like that. But I wanted to basically come up with something that was quite punchy, that was direct, that I could see as a beginning counter or a beginning place to orientate oneself to cut through what was going on but i wanted to make this manifesto huge for my exhibition which i did i made this very large manifesto um it's the version that i called the more visual one it's like red words and black words and it and it comes into this kind of like perfect cube mm. and i blew it up and it was huge in this in this in this gallery space and i had it on the wall and it was basically just i wanted to unapologetically state everything that i stood for right you could you could see it in the work, but you could also see it in the words. And I wanted to be—I just wanted to be as direct and out there as as, as I possibly could, um, which was which was actually well, it was it was it was fun because of course you had you had a number of people who were not particularly happy with yeah. some of the stuff that I had on the manifesto, um, but essentially it was just like, look, I'm I don't see I don't see the current art scene going any further with it being oriented in in the position that it's in. And so we need to, we need to smash through this. We need to break through this and we can't be, be caught in this sort of stasis. So I think it was important to put my words out there. Um, let the, let the sculptor talk, you know, speak for itself, but have this, have this backup of course of, of, yeah. of the words. So people understood what I was really uh, attempting to push for 
um, you know, I, I, br bringing bringing stone sculptures like that, monumental stone sculptures like that, into a space. Um, it's funny because it was. It's not hard to be revolutionary because you know I I state in my manifesto like the most revolutionary act in these times is to actually make something. Yeah. As a sculptor, it's to actually make something because you've got so many people who label themselves sculptors today and they, they can't make sculpture. They can't make anything. And so in these times, this process of this, this hyper-conceptualization or this mind masturbation, it's this process of saying, look, just make. If you're an artist, paint. If you're a sculptor, sculpt. Be involved in that process of creation and you'll, you'll already stand out. You'll already be going against the grain. And, you know, I, it, it's a funny thing because to, to put a manifesto out there is like an, it's considered an old fashioned thing to do, but it's also a theatrical thing to do in these times that I like, because I think we should be having manifestos out there as artists, because I think artists should stand for something. It's that process of what do you stand for? Because so many artists, when you ask them, what do you stand for? What is it you're really doing? And they'll say, well, I'm kind of here doing a bit of political commentary or I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sort of making counter politi political art against this politician or whatever. It's like, well, you stand for nothing there. Yeah. There's nothing there. And I like that. I like that process of being able to call each other out. Artists used to be way more verbal with one another. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you, it's like you're an artist. What are you doing? You're just making petty political art. That's nonsense. Aspire to something greater than that. Be something greater than that. You know, and I, I just wanted to come out basically... I just wanted to come out punching, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I the kind of work that I'm doing and 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 the ideas that I have, I'm um, I'm shunned by the, the 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 current art scene. They don't like what I'm doing. Why is but that? But I think that's a very good sign. Why? Why are people like it because, upset about the manifesto? They don't like it because as as an artist, you, you know, this idea of like, well anything goes and it's and you know it's everything's relative anyway so there are no standards how dare you come out here and tell us uh you know what you think about art or what you think we should be doing like who are you and how dare you do it? and i just think to myself well i'm a sculptor i can say those things and i should say those things and sculptors and artists of the past used to say those mm -hmm. things and that made a far more it made a far more vital cultural scene when artists were, were, were really involved and getting their hands dirty and nitty gritty and getting into deep conversations. But now it's like everyone's, everyone's atomized and they're all doing their own little thing, but ultimately then they're not really atomized because they're all held together under this umbrella of this kind of postmodernist agenda. And they're actually all just following it. Mm -hmm. You know, so an artist is supposed to be a dreamer, it's supposed to be someone who can can break out of just the standard of what's going on and show show another way, you know, out of the, you know, out of that that darkness of the artist's mind, he, he he brings something into into reality, and people go, wow, where the hell did that come from? What's this? This is another way of seeing or thinking or approaching something. Or, but now it's like everyone's just reading the same script, and that's maddening for me. Yeah, it's maddening because I because I want to I want to grab these people and shake them and say, look. This is nonsense. We've got to move on. And I don't think I, I don't think that we're going to go any further with the current uh, regime of what's going on in the art scene today. It's a dead end. It's over. It's finished. Draw a line, uh, you know, over it and just let's move on. It, you can't go any you can't deconstruct things any further. Right. 
you can't you can't keep on cutting cutting things in half throwing them around gallery spaces putting putting a uh, string between it and creating these installations and putting some kind of pseudo philosophical or pseudo political uh you know kind of story on top of it i mean how many times do you go into a gallery and someone says oh yeah but you know to understand it you need to have read that like right. that kind of text it over doesn't there stand alone doesn't stand alone and the average person can't tell if art is good or bad these days because they haven't read you know the the texts and the the critiques exactly um exactly yeah it it, it you know and, and and if everything is relative and if we've really come down to that point we, we've de we've deconstructed everything of the western canon and no one can really say what's powerful or strong and it's like then well then we're then we're lost we're completely and utterly lost. Yeah. So I can see why, um, in an uncharitable way, why somebody might gravitate to this posture of critique and everything being relative. There's a safety in it, in a way, because you don't, if you don't stand there for is. anything, you're not going to be challenged. Um, and you can always be the critic. You can always take a step back and just break <laughs> everything down without, yes. it's, you know, it's, it's hard to, uh, to build right? It's, it's hard to assert something. It's hard to stand yeah. for something. You could be wrong. But I wonder yeah, what is absolutely. like the, the steel man for this more postmodern disposition? What is, what is the, the kernel of truth that the contemporary art world has that they just took way too fucking far, but you know, there's something to it. Do you, do you have an idea of what that could be? Well, you know, I think when I look back at Duchamp, Mm -hmm. And he did, for example, the urinal. I think this was a really exciting period. In fact, I think, you know, I, much to the disbelief of many people uh, who follow me on Twitter, I actually don't have a problem with, with what Duchamp did. Mm -hmm. I don't have a huge issue with what these like hyper experimental avant-garde artists were doing about a hundred years ago where they were grabbing found objects and, you know, doing some mad, mad shit to it and, and, and really kind of attacking and, um, trying to break out of the hyper, hyper um, sort of um, academic uh, aspect of art, which was really um, kind of like what we have now. You had this regime that kind of that, that said that art can only be a very certain way, and art can only can only be painting and sculpture can only be done to the academic standards. Mm. And it was it was very uh, it was very controlling, very umbrella like, and they had salons that only. Uh, would celebrate a certain type of art, and if you if you if you were to do it outside of that certain strict standard, then you were shunned and you were considered extremely uh, bad. You know, and what I think was interesting is that the modernists, the early modernists, um, you know, and then even some of the later modernists, they they were playing with that and they were attacking attacking those concepts. And I think they had reason to do so because they needed to. They they at that time had had kind of lost themselves in a bit of a cul-de-sac. Th th things had become too static. And I think it was good that they, that they did some wacky experimental stuff. And I think it was good that Duchamp did what he did to kind of turn it all upside down. The only problem is, is that I don't think, you know, if Duchamp was still alive, I don't think he would, I think he'd be quite disgusted right. with how art had basically just continued and basically, just we've just continued into this post-Duchampian era, where we're still playing around with found objects. Artists have basically said, "Yeah, but Duchamp did it, and it and it was it was genius at that time, or it was or it was cutting edge at that time." And so, 
a whole bunch of other artists just carried on doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it, it's just a copy of a copy of a copy now. And it's it's not it's not out there. It's not cool. It's not it's it, it, it's stale now, but it's it, it's allowed people or it's allowed artists who can't really make anything. It's allowed them to to get away f- with <laughs> with a lot, should we say, mm-hmm. or it's allowed institutions to keep on um, kind of pushing and, and, and parroting this 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 approach and this this kind of nonsense. I think what would have been interesting is if that period that that he you know that Duchamp kind of kicked off with the found object, the ready-made as it was known. I think it would have been interesting if if, if that had a kind of you know a process of of you know destruction but then if there'd been a regathering of things and we could have found another way out of out of the 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 sort of hyper controlled and academic element of what was going on in the arts that that he was railing against or this kind of stuffy bourgeoisie kind of uh, art that he that he was railing against at that time to a degree um but it hasn't evolved like that it's been a um i think it's i think it's allowed for everyone to just be in a process of constant experimentation. Mm. It's like, oh, but I'm being experimental and I'm being cutting edge. And it's like, yeah, but this has been going on for an extraordinary amount of time now and you're not making anything. And there's no you're not courage actually in doing taking it, it anywhere. No. Yeah. No. It's, it's um, I'm, I mean, and I'm not saying that art has to completely be new or anything like that in, in terms of like it has to always be continuously new. It, it It's just that it, I just don't think you can keep on pushing that street or going down that that vein for too long before it's like, well, this is just a found object, cut in half, put in a space with a story attached to it. This, you know, I, I, I'm actually disgusted that it's still going on. I'm, I'm utterly disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think? Um, I know you draw a lot of inspiration from modernism, and you, you mentioned the. Yes. Uh, uh, the future early modernism, yeah. Early modern, uh, early modernism. Um, I've also seen uh, some Art Deco influence in some yes. of the stuff that you do. Do you think we need to come back to modernism in some sense, or is there some new thing that you're in the process of unfolding that draws inspiration from these movements from the past? It's it's something that I am at this point in time absolutely obsessed with mm. is this idea of um where does one go to bring a fresh look or a fresh vein um how do you find a fresh vein mm-hmm. should we say and i think there's a lot to be said if you want to move forward one must look back to go forward Dialectic. but it's also the question of how far back does one have to look to go forward and the reason why I why I grab back at early modernism is for a key and vital archetype that you see in early modernism, and that is the expression of energy and vitality. And they still had it in a very raw sense, in a very confident, unapologetic sense. It's like, I liken it to this. You look at the early Greeks. A lot of the early Greek sculpture was very geometric. It's very simple, mm. very simplified little little forms suggesting arms, suggesting figures. But what did that what did that geometricization develop into? Well, of course, it, it went on over a number of a number of hundreds of years, you know, whatever. Um, it started to develop. 
I look back at the early modernists and look at their geometric forms and I look at their, their, their basic forms that have a lot of power and fresh uh, strength and vitality. But I look at that and I say, how can you grab that raw energy that's totally chaotic and explosive and, and, and really like a fresh culture in its own kind of chaotic form? How do you grab that and how do you bring elements of aspects of art deco, vorticism, futurism, aspects of the eternal, looking back at the Greeks. How can you bring that together to, 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 to have a fresh or, or a more fresh approach aesthetically to, to creating vital sculpture, life-affirming sculpture, mm. sculpture that celebrates this force and this life that's in nature that we need to reconnect with. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in this kind of slightly mad, obsessed state at the moment of of doing multiple different small sketches in, in, in clay in my atelier where I'm, where I'm like looking at compositions, trying different styles, um, you know, looking back at the early modernists saying, well, what, what was good? What was vital about that? And what can we run forward with? It's an aesthetic question. Mm. It's an aesthetic uh, strain of research, really, because, you know, as an artist, you, I believe you must ask aesthetic questions before you stumble or before you push onto um, fresh territory for fresh expression. I don't think we have to... It goes back to that archetypal thing again. The archetypes are eternal, but how do you reimagine them in this time? Right. How do you find a language to talk to them again? How do you find a language to talk to the archetypes, which haven't left us, which are still here, but how do you talk to them again in a vital way? It's like Ezra Pound said... Um, make it new, make it new again. How do you make it new? That was the, that was the kind of this, this mantra. It's a very old, it's a very old concept. But the thing that I love about early modernism is it was very much connected to the eternal and the past because they were just simply reimagining the archetypal world and they were bringing forms to that and they were bringing um, visual expression to those, to those things. And I, that's why I look at those periods. I don't, I don't spend a huge amount of time, like other certain people have said to me, dwelling, for example, in the Renaissance period. Mm. Because I think the Renaissance period, although an amazing period, I believe that it was, it was very much its own refined thing of, 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 to an extraordinary level. Right. And my belief is that you can't just return to the Renaissance because you'll, you'll end up creating simply just a copycat of it. It was too what Apollonian. What you must do. Sure, but what, what what you must do is you must grab at the at the kind of um, those vital saplings that are kind of there and ready to push up, and you have you 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 gather that energy, and then from there the more refined will grow, because culture will start out kind of janky and rough, mm -hmm. and then it develops into something. A, a lot of people will um, attack the kind of things that I'm doing because they'll say yeah, but it's too kind of brutal or it's too this or it's too that. And I'm like, well, maybe come back in 20 years then. Come back in 30 years. Uh, or what hopefully when I'm still going in, in, say, 50 years, you know, it's like... It, it's exactly that uh, the Nietzschean dichotomy between the Dionysian energies, which are like primal and unrefined, and, and the Apollonian, yes. which is further refined, like, a, you know, a piece of classical music. And if people want to build Absolutely. the classical music of today or create the classical music of today, they, they can't go back to Mozart 
right? Because that was already refined. You have to go earlier. Yeah. You have to tap into it. It would yeah. it would be hip hop today, really. Like hip hop is so much less quote unquote refined than Western classical music. But that's where the vitality is today, and that's where like those saplings right, and seedlings are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. It it it's it's a thing that I want, like through my Twitter page, that I've tried to express in certain threads and and, and certain things where it's you know I. People need to understand that for a true culture and not a, not a contrived culture to come about, you can't just simply copycat um, the Renaissance and say, oh, well, you know, let's just try and be like, uh, like what Michelangelo was doing. Let's just start, you know, going, going for that. And it's just, okay, but we need to start somewhere first. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we can, we can start in that highly refined place. I think we, we, we better off take the trajectory of starting off in the more um, simplified forms that have that, that that still have that vitality and still have that unapologetic energy, but then something from there can grow, something perhaps more refined can grow. But of course, there'll be other artists taking. My dream is that there'll be other artists understanding what I'm pushing for, and they will take it down other veins and uh, and other avenues as well. But there is a, a point that I think we need to look at where we don't have to look so far back. That's that, that's kind of what I'm getting at, and, and I'm trying to approach that from a sculptural point. Mm -hmm. But with our, other artists that I'm, you know, in the process of of working with and, and finding, they will approach that on a on a painting level, or they will approach that on a simply, you know, architectural level or something like that. You know, it, it, it's 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 for 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 true movements to be taking place, you. You have to have a varied group of different artists that are involved. And then there has to be group exhibitions. And that's all the kind of things that I'm dreaming of right now and in the process of uh, pushing for. As we uh, bring this to a close, I'm curious. A lot of people have difficulty uh, standing for things today. You know, they lack the courage, as we discussed a moment ago. And part of that is because there's a, a loss of meaning in most people's lives. Like people don't have these bigger meta narratives to connect with that motivate them to wake up in the morning, that motivate them to put their opinions mm -hmm. on the line. Um, I wonder how you, you seem to have found some form of reconciliation there. I don't know if there's a meta narrative that you're bought into, but you're, you're putting forth your ideas, you're acting courageously. You need quite a lot of vitality in order to build the things that you're building. How is it that you're able to do that? And like, or maybe what, what is it that, that wakes you up in the morning that allows you to do that? I think it's the understanding that, that, that great men, um, for example, my, one of my heroes, uh, Windham Lewis, uh, who was a uh, painter, writer, you know, novelist, critic, um, who uh, you know, started the Vorticist movement mm. in Britain, very short-lived movement. I believe that, you know, you can look back at great men, not just Windham Lewis, but other, other, other people of the past, and you can say that if you have a will, if you have a will and you have a strong will to do something in this world, then, then go ahead and do it. I don't think it's a case of saying, this is why, like, in, in some respects, I also have this view. It's like, there is no other choice. Like, we can't just be in a process right now of saying, ah, but it's all so bad and, and, and I can't get out of bed and it's just, it's just hopeless and, and, and it's painful. And, and, and I know that a lot of people in that state, but I think it's a, it's a case of saying, 
there is no other choice. Mm. You know, nature, I, my, my belief is this as well, is that, that nature wants you to move. Nature wants you to take those steps Literally. forward. It's expected of you. Do it. Do it. Step into those shoes and do it. And I think it's, I think it also that I just have a, I have this, this, this burning passion and fire inside of me that is, that is really, it's a flame that, 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 that's definitely not going out. And it's, it's, it's just a kind of passionate belief that we can be so much better than we are and we need to keep on pushing forward. I haven't got the answers. I, you know, I wouldn't say like, oh, I found it. And I'm like this great artist who's, who's got there. You know, I'm 33. I've got many years ahead of me. I believe that we can keep on going forward and we must keep on going forward. And, it, and I'm hungry for it. Mm -hmm. But I'm also hungry for the challenge. This is a great challenge. And it's very exciting to have this period where, where everyone's against you. Like I, like I do right. have this moment where there's so many people around me in the art world who hate me. They cut me out of exhibitions. They don't want me to be in institutions. They don't like the kind of stuff that I'm doing. And that is, that's so damn exciting because you, you, you have this, this, this kind of, I'm feeding on that mm -hmm. because I know that if, if they are, are not pleased with what I'm pushing for, I know that I'm in the right place. That's where I, that's where I want to be in that energy. Because if, if they don't like it and they're saying, oh, you can't say that, I'm like, well, it's a red rag to a bull because I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to find the people who resonate with me and we're going to build something. And, and, you know, perhaps there'll be that moment where I'll die trying, mm -hmm. but I believe it's possible and I'm going to keep pushing until I get there. And the thing is, is, is there's the, so many people have tried to close doors on me. They've, they've, they've tried to keep me out and that energizes me even more because I think you've tried to keep me out and you think that I'm just going to go away, but you've just empowered me more. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep on rolling down that road until I have brought a change for the better and that there can be a life affirming culture again, something that is vital and strong and not this petty wet nonsense that we have today. So that's it basically. Ben, thank you so much for this conversation today. That's a wonderful place to end. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'll, I'll leave it rolling still, uh, just the recording. But uh, okay. just, just uh, well, I might even include this. I was just thinking like how to make this really practical for someone who got inspired hearing what you just said. You said something like there's no other choice. And the, the way I think that is people, people can actually just make a decision to stand up, to move. You know, if, if someone's in like a tough totally. place and they feel demoralized, I think that's the issue. A lot of people feel demoralized. You can actually choose. Yeah, you feel powerless. Yeah. You, you can choose to move forward that there's a capacity that people have where it's like, maybe it's irrational. Maybe your life is actually really bad, but you can still make a choice in the face of that. It's like a deeply human function that we, absolutely. some people just need to be reminded that they can do that. And then a momentum can build once, once you start That's it. living that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I truly believe that it is possible to just make a switch. 
you know yeah you know it 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 simply is just a process of saying you know you you can do it and i think the most important thing is to is to enjoy the challenge of it you know enjoy the challenge of getting yourself out of this as well because it's it, it's going to shape you it's going to be a, a positive experience and it's on a micro level even if you're not going to do anything huge let's say on a macro level it's heroic on a micro level yeah. in your world at least yeah and you should be you should be taking on that fight you should be that's my belief anyway yeah and i it goes to show why people like jordan peterson have been so profoundly uh, well received by young men because just a little bit of that encouragement like just be a little bit heroic in the small way in your own life like clean your room or or just face right. what's the, what's yours to face sometimes that's all people need it's like you, you can do that that that's an option for you yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely it's 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 possible you've got a lot more power than you uh than you think you have yeah you know it's uh just don't just don't believe that you're powerless because that's 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 not a good place to be yeah well said